You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. It's good to see all of you here today. I have had a busy, busy week in Dallas. So it's good to come home and be here with people who are normal. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat, except for Cody. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and let's start with Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 12 is where we begin. We are still talking about spit it out. Spit it out. We're talking about prayer. And the primary function of prayer is to help you engage your faith and put your faith into words toward God. S-P-I-T. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. This is the basic model for prayer. Supplication, that's when you pray about what you need. Remember the word supplication means supply. Supplication. So you're asking for your own supply there. Prayers, prayers that are common prayers, things that we all know about. Like the prayer that Pastor Casey prays at the end of the service. You all know, most of you have already got it memorized. Father, we thank you that you bless us in our coming in. You bless us in our going out. Thank you that you made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last. Victors no longer victims. Thank you, Lord, that though our enemies come out of us one, in one direction, they'll just have to flee in seven because we're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in our basket, blessed in the storehouse, and everything our hand touches prospers. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Father, that you cause the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as the people of going forth. What does he say? Armed and dangerous. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. That's, that's a prayer. It's okay to memorize prayers. We, we as full gospel people kind of threw all that out. I don't want to memorize prayers. I'm not that, you know. But there's, there's a powerful release if you mix that kind of praying in with the other kind of praying. Supplications, prayers, intercession. Intercession, that's where we are today. Now, we've been, t- we've been talking about Thanksgiving all along the way. Thanksgiving covers is connected to all of the prayers because you end with Thanksgiving. When you pray about something, you end with Thanksgiving. And then what, you, what do you do there? Remember the $20 bill I gave away? This, this mer- message has cost me a lot. <laughs> Remember the $20 bill I gave away? See, I had her say thank you for it before I gave it to her. Yeah. And she'd already said thank you, so that kind of obligated me to give it to her, didn't it? I told her to thank me for it, like God tells you to thank Him for it, yes. even before you see it. Yes. And if I decided, if I decided, hey, well, even though you thank me for it, I'm keeping my $20 bill, what would you all have thought of me? What, 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 what I, don't, I won't repeat what you said, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's that's true. Right. That's pretty much right. What a sorry jerk you are. <laughs> what kind of sorry jerk would God be if He told us to thank Him for what we prayed about? And then not do what he said. Not follow through. Huh? Yeah, you, when you thank him, he's, he's sort of obligated on his end of a covenant. This is how covenant exchange works. You do your part, he does his part. Amen. Amen. Draw near to God. It, it's covenant. You draw near to God, he must draw near to you because he said he would. He's in the covenant with you. If you do your part and give him thanks for everything... And God obligates himself to come through with what it was you prayed about and gave thanks for. But we're to intercession now. And I want to talk to you about the first mention of intercession. It's Isaiah 53 and verse 12. The first mention of it in the Bible is here. Talking about Jesus. Therefore will I divide him, Jesus, a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Intercession means to stand in the gap, to stand in the place of another, to fight for someone else. As a mercenary, or as a soldier, as an intermediary, you put yourself between danger and someone else with intercession. 
That is not done physically by believers. That's done in prayer by believers, which means the first, the first kind of prayer was the one, the supplication is where you pray about what you want to pray about. Prayers, I believe, is where you pray about what God wants you to pray about. The, the prayers of the Bible, the prayers that are taught to you, common prayers. And then the intercession is where you pray about what others need you to pray about. Intercession. Anybody have anybody you know needs prayer? When you pray for them, you are interceding for them. There's no more selfless act. And all, all that we do is not purely selfless because it makes us feel good to do it. But there is no more selfless act than praying for someone else. Using the time when you could be asking for yourself things, you ask things for someone else. Amen. There's no more selfless act in this world than to lay down your time. Because when you lay down, when you give time to someone, you're giving your life to them because your life is spelled T-I-M-E. You take time to pray for someone else. There's no more selfless act because you're not going to get the blessing of the answer. They're going to get the blessing of the answer. Are you getting me? Jesus showed us what this was like, what a selfless life was like when He interceded for us. He wasn't forgiven of sins. We were forgiven of sins. Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Let's put it up there, 826. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. I believe this is where... Praying in tongues comes in. Yes. You don't have to be spirit-filled to be a Christian, but you have to be spirit-filled to like being a Christian. <laughs> you, to, be, to be a Christian and not be spirit-filled is just to be miserable. That's all that is. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for. Why do we not know what we should pray for, Paul? This goes back to a theological statement I've made to you over and over. What we lost in the garden was the ability to talk to God. We did not lose the ability to hear God's voice. Oh, Lord, they didn't want to hear God's voice, but they couldn't keep from hearing God's voice. They heard His voice come walking in the cool of the day like they always had. He's, he's, he's dead in His trespasses and sins, and He hears the voice of God. That didn't keep Him from hearing God. Didn't keep God from making contact with Him because God had not done anything wrong. Adam had just lost the ability to talk to God now because it says the first thing out of his mouth, I was afraid... You're not speaking the language of God anymore. You got out of the language of faith into the language of fear. Yep. Everybody understand? We, yep. How is it that Peter comes to Jesus and the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. What? We learned about Peter later on that he had never even had a piece of bacon. He had never had anything uncommon or clean, unclean in his mouth. And this is a Jew's Jew. That's right. And he did not know how to pray. Are you kidding me? He did not know how to pray. Teach us to pray. The Jew didn't know how to pray. There's no chance you Gentiles know how to pray. No, no, no chance we know how to, what we need to say to God. Paul even says, we don't know what to say. Especially when you're praying for somebody who's away you know there's something wrong. Your heart starts troubling you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In the middle of the night you get awakened with somebody on your mind. You're driving down the highway and you can't stop thinking about this person. And they come to your mind. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what's wrong. All you get is a name. All you get is a feeling. All you get is a sense. Oh, well, what, do you, what do you do? The Spirit will help you there. That's where you move into that praying in other tongues, praise God. Let the Spirit pray through you because He knows what's wrong and He knows what to say. If you'll just give your tongue to Him, if you'll just give your moment right there, just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. We don't, we don't, we don't value speaking in tongues enough in the body of Christ. It's a wonderful weapon, a wonderful tool, a wonderful blessing to use when you're trying to intercede. When you're interceding, it's one of the main, main ingredients to intercession, I believe, because it takes you into the spirit realm quicker than anything else. Take you into the, quick, into the spirit realm quicker than anything else. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He will make the intercession for you, praise God. He will make the intercession for you. You, you, you're in, you're, you think you're interceding, but he's really doing it for you. Verse 27, he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is powerful, powerful, powerful. Now, let's put up Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Romans 8, 34. It says, the Spirit intercedes for us. He does the intercession for us. He teaches us how to pray, guides us in our prayers when we're praying in the Spirit and helping others. But it says here, Jesus intercedes for us as well. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also does what? Makes intercession for us. Well, Jesus isn't just in, in a part-time intercessor. He's not, on, he's not on the throne to wait for you to cry out to him. He's not just part-time interceding. He is your eternal intercessor. Once and for all, you have somebody at the right hand of the Father who speaks God's language for you. Amen. He says what your confession is. If you confess what the Word of God says, and this is why it's so important to when you're praying, remember those prayers? Those prayers, S-P-I-T, the prayer part, that's where you find out the kinds of things you need to be praying about. The kinds of words you need to use when you talk to God, because it really does matter. It matters how you talk to God. It does matter what you say to God. It does matter. It does matter. You can't just beg God all the time and think you're going to get it done because you have a need. Oh, He sees my need. Oh, God, please, please, please. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, please, please. You know what? You just need to turn that please into thank you. Please, Jesus. No, thank you, Jesus. Oh, help me, Jesus. What's wrong with... What's wrong with laying claim to the help he already gave you? You see, this is the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Most people spend most of their time praying Old Testament prayers. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know what the Lord is thinking? I thought you were already part of the family. Why are you praying, why are you praying the prayer of David, an unregenerate man? A guy who was not born again. Why are you praying a prayer of a man who was not born again? I, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you the truth. You've got to get over into the new covenant. The new covenant. Not all the prayers of the Bible should you be praying. You should not be praying Old Testament style prayers. Unless, unless it's something out of the book of Genesis. Sometimes you get, date, you get got one on the loose here. Praise God. <laughs> unless you... Unless you come, come to Genesis chapter 15 or something like that. Or... Find some prayer that Abraham, the father of faith, prayed. But if you're praying the kinds of prayers that are always begging God, that tells me and it should tell you that you're not in the new covenant in your thinking. If you don't get into the new covenant in your thinking, you never release your faith. You're always releasing fear. Because the Old Testament, by and large, was based on fear. If you don't do this, I'm going to send you to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to die. I'm going to open up the ground and swallow you all up. Mm-hmm. Fire might even fall from heaven. Who knows? Filthy pagans. The Bible teaches us that, that intercession is Jesus' eternal ministry. Hebrews 7, 19. Let's turn there real quick. Is it all right if we study the Bible a little bit? Yeah. Hebrews 7, 19. Hebrews 7, 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which... We draw nigh to God, verse 20, and, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, meaning Jesus was made priest, not without an oath. That means he had sworn an oath. For those priests, meaning of the Old Testament, were made without an oath, but this with an oath. They were made with birth, by birth. The Levitical priesthood wasn't, didn't have an oath. They had birth. They had to be born into that family. But Jesus was made by a promise from God. Listen to this. An oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. 
the Lord swore and will not take it back. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so much was Jesus made a surety. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Listen to me. Listen to me. Anybody that tells you that you need to get it all wrapped up in the Old Testament. Because they, they, they say, I preach the whole counsel of God. <laughs> and I always say, listen, yo-yo, you're quoting Paul. Who was saying what he preached was the whole counsel of God. Right. You're quoting Paul. He said that in Acts chapter 20. He said what he preached was the whole counsel of God. And he did not preach the law. So you can't be preaching the whole counsel of God by preaching the law. Have you lost your mind? Yo-yo's a nice thing I call them. <laughs> well, it's yo-yo because you always find that people, are, people who preach that, that kind of way, they're always up and down and up and down and up and down. Never have a sense of sonship. They're always trying to, trying to please God with some sort of service. Praise God, I got saved. I got born all over again. I got in the family. And in the family, you're probably not going to act perfect. I know, I know what, what religion says to us. You people are gay. You're just giving those people a license to sin. I said, no, I'm not giving them a license to sin. I'm, I'm, uh, they, they came to church with one. I'm trying to get them to stop using it. To make them understand who they are. My grandson, the other day, Ann and I went to Waco, Texas, and we had to take him along. And we stopped at the on the border to have lunch. And I had an appointment in Dallas at 3.30, and it was, it was pushing 1.30. So I had to get back, you know. It's a full hour and a half drive. Plus getting him in the car and all that. So I got a little nervous. I said, Max, eat that ice Because his, his kid's meal came with a, an ice cream sundae. Strawberry. He, picked, he had his choice between strawberry and chocolate. He picked strawberry. And he's eating it. I said, Max, you need to hurry up with that. You need to eat that, eat that ice cream. He says, it's cold, Papa. I said, I know, eat it. <laughs> Ann said to me, you don't want him to get brain freeze. I said, nobody ever died from brain freeze. <laughs> and he said, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even re re refute him because he's in the family. <laughs> my ways are so much higher than his ways, and my knowledge is so much greater than his knowledge, but I don't disdain him for where he is. Right. You understanding me? Amen. God knows where you are, and as part of his family, he still kind of likes it when you, do, when you say stupid things. <laughs> he's not a judgmental God. Amen. He really did get over it, and he really does love you. He really does love you. He loves you just like you are. Come on, look at somebody and say, God loves you just like you are. He loves you just like you are. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Now look this word surety up. And it's the word anguos. Anguos. It's spelled E-G-G-U-O-S like egg-guos. But it's ang. So anytime you have a double G in Greek, you pronounce, you pronounce it as, as though it's spelled E-N-G. Anguos. And what that means is a bondsman. Jesus became the bondsman for your salvation. Now, if your performance is your bondman, not one of us is going to get to go to heaven. But since he's standing good for getting you to heaven, then that must mean that you going to heaven is not based on how well you perform. It must be based on how well he performs. And your faith in him is what gives you that contact. You remember why we said it had to be faith? Why it has to be faith? The saved are only the saved because they believe. The saved are only the saved because they believe in Jesus Christ. Not because they believe they performed well enough to be saved. I ask people, I can always tell when somebody's actually saved. I say, are you going to heaven? That's a simple question. Are you going to heaven? They say, I hope so. You know what I hear them say? <laughs> Not a chance in hell. <laughs> That's what I hear them say. 
I did it again, didn't I? That's what I hear them say when they say, I hope so. That means they don't know. And, and they're probably not. Because they're still trusting in how well they perform. If they say, I hope so, that means I hope I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. There's no chance. There's no chance. No chance of that. Because the bad is so bad. Let me ask you something. If you got a phone line from your house underground, from the road to your house, how many times does it have to be cut before you can't get your message through? Huh? What if it's cut 500 times? The same result. You can't tell the difference. Everybody understand what we're saying? You can't tell the difference between 500 cuts or one. It's all the same. This is the, 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 the thing about sin. This is the problem with sin. It's not a, you got a basket over here, how many good things you got, and a basket over here, how many bad things you got. Either you're cleansed from sin, and that's never going to be another issue with you, and what Jesus did was eternally, forever, once and for all settled, and He now sits at the right hand of the Father as your high priest mediating that covenant, or He's not, and you don't have a chance in hell. It's either all about Him or it's about nobody. Because it sure never was about you. Sure never was about you making it. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. There'll never be anybody like Jesus who loves you just because He wants to. Amen. He suffered like no man has ever suffered. Remember who he was and who he is. The son of the living God and had never for one split second ever known separation from the Father. And there he finds himself hanging on the cross, God having separated from him. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This horrible moment where his soul, as it were, is tumbling headlong into the abyss. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, have you forsaken me? He's making a statement in the question. Why have you forsaken me? Take it like it says it. The horror of that moment cannot be over-explained, cannot be overstated what he was experiencing. And there's no way for him to practice it, have a run-through of it, to see how well it goes, to see how, how am I going to do this? No, he had to do it once. And he had to face it alone. And he really... He really thinks it's over between him and his father. He thinks it's over. He's not just saying words from the cross. He thinks it's over between him and his God. And by faith, at the last moment, he says the greatest statement of faith that could ever be uttered. He calls that God who has forsaken him, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We get an idea while he's hanging on that cross, on several occasions through the things he said, that he's really doing this for us. Because he says, Lord, lay not this into their charge. He's praying for himself, he's praying for them. Praying for them. There's a dying thief beside him, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Remember, Here's a guy, <laughs> I guess you could say he's on his deathbed, nailed to the cross. What's he going to offer Jesus? Lord, if you save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Amen. <laughs> What's he got to offer Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. Because Jesus isn't looking to save you so you can work for him. 
contrary to what religion teaches you. Jesus did not save you to get you to working for Him. You should work, but he, he didn't save you for that reason. He saved you for eternity's sake to have you with Him forever and ever and ever. Because He can't imagine. He just cannot imagine enduring eternity without you there. You going to heaven is not how God pays you for what you did. You going to heaven is how God pays Jesus for what he did. Glory to God. You are the prize of heaven. Verse 23 says, Hebrews 7, They truly were many priests because they were, they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Oh, they had a lot of them because they had to. Because they were going through them like dirty shirts. Verse 24, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Ah, there he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he, he has saved Abraham and his family, potentially. For any of them that will believe it, they're all now established with a new covenant, as it says in the very next chapter. I will establish this new covenant with the house of Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea. So he made this covenant, this new covenant with them. But he's sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And the Father says to him, Ask of me. And I'll give you the heathen as your inheritance. That goes all over me. That goes all over me. The Father and Son had this conversation in heaven and it's, and it's prophesied in Psalm 2. He says, Ask of me. And I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. I just think that I just love that day that Jesus looked at the Father and said, I want the heathen for my inheritance. I want them catfish eaters in Bryan County. <laughs> All them bacon eaters from Arkansas and Texas. And I, want, I, want, I want them. I want them. I want the heathen, Father. He said, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. And one day Jesus asked. And that angel was sent to a pagan of pagans. Cornelius. A wealthy centurion who had servants, had a home in Caesarea. And God sent the angel to Cornelius and kicked the door open to all of us. And brought us in just like we were. We just listen to the message and believe it. The first moment of anything tells you how, what the real thing is. The first moment, the first mention of anything tells you what the real pattern is. And this is the first time Gentiles have ever been saved. And all they did was sat and heard the message. Christ died for us. They heard the message of Jesus. The Bible says, and while Peter was yet speaking those words, to him give all the prophets witness, Acts 10, 43, to him give all the prophets witness that whoever believes on his name shall receive the remission of sins. And verse 44 says, while he yet spoke those words, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word. They just heard the word. Apparently they must have believed the word. That's what Peter later says in Acts 15, that they believed it. And God purified their hearts by faith, giving them the Holy Ghost. Amen. He, he, he showed that their hearts were purified by the, by, the, by the simple act of faith and then poured out His Spirit upon them. I believe this was the day when Jesus asked, give me the inheritance. Give me my heathen for my inheritance. See, it had been coming all along. Numbers 13 tells the story that this was coming. This was coming. We know this was coming from, Act, from Numbers chapter 13. Because in Numbers 13, there's a story of, of Moses sending the spies up into Canaan's land to check out the land. Y'all heard me talk about this somewhat, but uh, I got a little more to say about it. Numbers 13 says that God sent, uh, told Moses to pick out 12 heads of the families of Israel. Without looking at the text, who can name just one of those 12 spies? Caleb. Joshua. Give me the other 10. 
We don't know the losers, do we? <laughs> we don't remember the names of losers. <laughs> we don't remember the names of losers. Uh-uh. No, we don't remember their names. Losers. We remember the names of the two guys that won. The two guys were Joshua and Caleb. You may not be aware of this, but Joshua's name is an identical name to Jesus. The Jews today will call Jesus Yeshua. That's you calling your Jesus Joshua. Same name. Identical name. Had we taken our Bible, our English Bible, straight from Hebrew, instead of it going through the Septuagint, through the Greek, we would be calling Jesus Joshua today. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm promising you, if you cast out a devil by the name of Jesus, and I've cast a lot of them out, they know that name. They go. If you cast out a, name, a, dev, a, de, cast out a devil in the name of Yeshua, Hamashiach, they know that name too. Same name. Amen. But Joshua and Caleb, they're, they're the only two coming back saying, we were well able. Caleb did most of the talking. Joshua just kind of sitting back using his authority as Moses' right-hand man. And letting Caleb do all the talking. We're well able. Let's go up at once, he said. You can, you can read the story yourself sometime. Caleb kept stealing the, stealing the people. These ten guys went up there, and they, they brought back an evil report, the Bible says. Brought back an evil report. Caleb brought back a good report. Joshua brought back a good report. Ten went up and came back saying the wrong thing. Two came back saying the right thing. Let's not forget they'd all seen the same thing. So what they had, their report then could not have been based on what they saw, rather what they believed about what they saw. Ooh. The report was not based on what they saw, but what they believed about what they had seen. Ah. Oh. That's why God said, you're not going into the promised land. None of you are going to. How is it that only two guys lived long enough to get to go into the promised land? What kept Joshua and Caleb alive? Was it good genes? Strong DNA? Why those two out of 12? Two out of twelve. It's almost always some kind of minority that's pleasing God. Rarely ever is it the majority that's on God's side. Two out of twelve. Ten of those guys and all of their peers died in the wilderness. Why did two guys stay alive? You want to live long and prosper? Keep your, your mouth right. How long you lived is determined... By what you say, not what the doctor says. Right. Amen. The doctor's going to have opinions. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't, don't go to the doctor. I'm just saying you've got to get, get, keep your own control of your own life in your own mouth. I shall live and not die. My pastor, J Jim Hester, is 85 years old. Now, he's getting ready to go to heaven. But every male member of his family died before they were 50 years old. He had one uncle that lived to be 51, but all the rest of them died at 48 and 45 and 40, and like that. All of them, his dad, all of his brothers, his dad's brothers, all of them, they all died early. And he said, I was raised with the idea that I was going to make it to about 50 and die. So then I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. He started reading John Osteen. He started reading Kenneth Hagin. He said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying I can, I can confess my way out of this? Yes. Read the Confessions of a Baptist Preacher, John Osteen's book. Y'all know Joel Osteen? This is, John's, this is Joel's daddy, John. Baptist preacher got spirit-filled. Praise God. Started, started confessing the Word of God. It changed everything for him. Praise God. Let's say God bless the Baptist. Yeah, all right, praise God. He started reading John Osteen's stuff and Kenneth Hagin's stuff and it changed his whole life. So he started confessing. If I call him right now, if I pick up and take my phone and call my Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, how are you doing? He's getting ready to go to heaven. He told me he's done. I mean, he's, his body's worn out. I'll tell you what he'd say. He said, I'm highly favored. I'm blessed and highly favored, John. I live and not die. Amen. Made it to 85 years old. His genes told him he's going to die young. But his mouth told him something else. Yes. Amen. Praise God. I think that's what happened to Joshua and Caleb. I'm going to live long enough to go enjoy that promised land, praise God. I'm not going to, not going to do this. I'm just not going to die because everybody else died. I had a good report. God promised me the land. I'm going in. 
Got to get it in your mouth. Doesn't matter how many people are dying around you. Amen. Joshua and Caleb. Let me slow this down just a little bit. Can you stand a little bit of theology today? Amen. The ten. How many? Ten. ten. The ten didn't go in to the promised land. Uh, because when you're under the law, the promises are no effect to you. Under the law, two went in. Love God, love your neighbor. Two went in. The ten didn't get to go in. Condemnation always keeps you outside the promises. They all died out there where they got that law, out there in that wilderness. But two of them went in. Who did I say Joshua's name means? He's a type of Jesus. Caleb, his name means dog. Dog. How did the dog get to go in? What did Jesus call Gentiles? Dogs. Jesus called Gentiles dogs. I mean, he called you dogs. Who got to go into the promise? Hey, I don't care if I don't have a pedigree. <laughs> if, if my pedigree is German Shepherd or whatever it is, as long as I get to go into the promised land with Jesus, I'm okay. I don't care what they call me. That's why it was so powerful when that woman said, when Jesus said there in Matthew 15, Jesus said, it's not right to feed the, feed the children's bread to dogs. She said, truth, Lord. Yeah. I think Jesus thought, wow, you sound like my friend Caleb. Yeah. I had a friend who was a dog. He said, woman, great is your faith. And for this saying, you have what you need. Amen. This is powerful if you think about it. Caleb represents the Gentile church going into the promised land where we are today. You have a right to the promises because you have Jesus as your elder brother. Praise God. Verse 24 of Hebrews 7. We're still in Hebrews 7. Verse 24. But this man, because he continues ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them that are to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now look this word uttermost up. It's pantalace. Like pantalace. 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 P-A-N-T-E-L-E-S. Pantalace. And it means full-ended. Full-ended. Now that's kind of interesting if you think about it. It means completely, but it also means all the way to the end. All the way to the complete end. Jesus isn't going to check out on you at some point because you did something stupid. How many of you are thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. He's your uttermost full-end intercessor. To make intercession for them to the uttermost. To save them to the uttermost. Not part-time saving. Not trying to save him, but completely saving. We, 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 we hear most of our lives of a Jesus who tried to save us, not of one who did save us. Well, poor Jesus, he tried. He tried his best. He tried to save you. He, I had, he, we got you in church, got you baptized. We had you tithing, and you backslid. Jesus, after all he did, he tried so hard to save you. You hear it? You hear how stupid it sounds? Like what Jesus did wasn't, wasn't powerful enough to keep them? Something wrong with our thinking. This Jesus, he, he saved us to the uttermost, sort of, kind of. Another verse in, in, in Hebrew says, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, has, I thought I had to be sanctified to be saved. Not if I'm already perfect. See, you're being sanctified right now. Some of you are letting, letting old holler drive out stupid thoughts from your head. Amen. And there's a kind of repentance going on right now. Amen. A kind of repentance going on right now. I find people who preach heavy repentance messages don't, don't repent when they hear me preach. They preach it, but they don't live it. <laughs> This is what it says in verse 26. For such a high priest became us who is, listen to all these things he is, holy, listen, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, 
made higher than the heavens. Oh, here's a high priest. Now look at it. Holy. Look, look at the bottom of the list. Higher than the heavens. Is that not another, another phrase, another description of holy? Yeah. Yes, that's all that is. He's higher than the heavens. That's just another de definition of what it means to be holy. Look at the, 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 the one above that. Separate from sinners. Is that not just another way of saying holy? Look at the one above that. Undefiled. Is that not just another way of saying holy? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Look, at this, look at the second one. Harmless. Harmless. If you've got a vengeful, angry God, I'm sorry, that God doesn't seem to be all that holy to me. Harmlessness on God's part is a, another way of saying He's holy. I didn't write the book, I just found it. <laughs> the fact that he got over it and he laid all the blame on Jesus makes him no longer angry at you because of your sin. Amen. That glares at you. It glares at you. Your righteousness is in you, but when you do something wrong, the devil magnifies it and all you can see is how wrong you are. Like the two little blondes, I think I told you this story, but I'm going to tell it again. Two little girls look like Parrish. <laughs> sitting on the front row, sitting on the front porch, I mean, looking up at the night sky. One of them says to the other, which is farthest away, the moon or Florida? <laughs> the other one says, hello, can you see Florida? <laughs> and, and, which, which means... <laughs> <laughs> I love all the blonde people in the church. <laughs> Angela. <laughs> that which is closest to you, you don't see it. That which is farthest away glares at you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You think that's what's closest to you. That's how, where we get these stupid things like, oh, we're just all sinners saved by grace. I always say, religious person, you need to make up your crazy mind because you can't be both of those at once. You have to decide which you're going to be, a sinner or saved by grace. Because when you got saved by grace, it didn't mean you stopped doing wrong things. It means you identify as perfect and holy in every way, having a harmless high priest. That means he's not out to get you because he's holy. He sticks to His Word. He promised that Christ was the end of the, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, and that's what He meant. Yeah. We always think of holy God as, oh, so terrible was a mountain that we couldn't touch it because He's so holy, He'll kill you. Well, there was a time when that was true. But now He's a high priest who is higher than the heavens, holy. Separate from sinners, holy. Undefiled, holy. Harmless! And holy. This is good. This is good. Harmless. Akakos. I love that word. Akakos. It sounds like Popeye laughing. Akakos. I say those kind of things to help you remember. Akakos. Verse 27. Who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people? For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity, have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forever. Plain and simple, when you pray for someone else, you are interceding. When you pray for someone else, you are interceding. When Jesus did all that He did, He did not do it for Himself. He did all that He did and does all that He does for you. Christ did not just die. Christ died for our sins. Are you understanding this? Everything that He did, He did for us. So I want to give you three quick thoughts. When you're praying for the people, praying for others, pray violently. Pray violently like you're mad at the devil. Amen. Remember, there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, could you put that up real quick? Ephesians chapter 6, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse, let's just read verse 10. We'll read through this passage. I like reading lengthy passages rather than just pulling verses off the page. 
Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ah, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. 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 Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Stop right there. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why? Why do we need to put all this on? Why do we need to activate all this? Look at verse 18. Praying. You put all that on to go to prayer. We used to put it on to go out and witness. No, you put it on to pray. Use your righteousness to pray. Use the gospel of peace to pray. That means you can come before God boldly. Praise God. Use the truth. That means the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He's talking about praying and interceding. When you're fighting the devil or playing Philadelphia, <laughs> you don't sit there when they score a touchdown and go, oh, how nice. <laughs> no, you're screaming, ain't you? I'm, I, I do, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I do. I worship Jesus loud and I, I, play, I, I watch the Cowboys loud. Yeah. If you don't want enthusiasm when I'm watching the Cowboys, don't come to my house. I'm going to be turning inside out. Yeah. I like them. I want him to beat that Bradford for taking our running back so bad I'm going to pound him. Mm-hmm. Huh? Pray violently. That means open your mouth and go for it. Somebody's life may be depending on you moving in here, dressing yourself with armor and going to battle. Going to battle. That means you've got to talk to the devil a little bit. That means you've got to talk to the devil a little bit. Interceding, praying for others with all perseverance in prayer, the Bible teaches us. Secondly, pray in the Spirit. Paul said, there's mysteries revealed if you'll pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means that you give thanks well. 1 Corinthians 14, we've been, been learning this on, on uh, Wednesday nights. You give thanks well if you pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. The Apostle Paul told us this clearly. All it is is speaking in tongues. Praying in the Spirit, you're giving thanks well. You're talking to God. You're making a difference in the, in the Spirit. You're helping somebody. Amen. You may not know that you have a ministry, but you have a ministry if you'll dare to be used of God. I used to work for the Santa Fe Railroad, and I'd walk around a lot of times in the dark by myself. I mean, I was working, but railroaders are oftentimes alone in the dark, working on the cars and things. And I, I would just, I'd hear names. The Lord would just drop, drop something in my heart, a name of somebody. And I had no idea who they were or what, what I was talking about. I just start praying in the tongues, start praying in tongues. And I start getting pictures of somebody in trouble. And I just start praying in other tongues. I had a ministry. Are you understanding me? And I may not, may not know all of them. Some of them I've come to find out later, people I met later, or heard about later. But... Uh, but uh, you have a real ministry if you'll let yourself move into that spirit realm. You don't have to be recognized in front of the congregation all the time. You don't have to be recognized in front of men all the time. Just get started being obedient to the Holy Ghost. Amen. And interceding for people because there are people in trouble all over. And the only hope that this world has is a church that is prophetic. A church that is operating in the spirit. A church that loves the word of God. A church that is full of the grace of God. Amen. It's the only hope they have. That's you. That's you. That's you. You are the true intercessors. Pray. Third, 
I said pray violently, pray in the Spirit. And third, pray as though the need is your own. Pray as though the need is your own. That'll help you with your violence. Jesus said it like this. The kingdom suffers violence. It allows for violence. And the violent take it. Matthew chapter 11. The violent take it by force. You pray as though the need is your own. James chapter 5 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That word fervent is the same word for burning on fire. Huh? Huh? The burning on fire prayer. The one that makes you a little bit uncomfortable to listen to. James 5. I'm not sure about the verse. 17. James 5, 17. Pray violently. Fervent. Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nation, said it like this. Every Christian should pray at least one violent prayer every day. Can I challenge you to do that? It doesn't have to be in front of people. Get alone somewhere and scream. Turn it loose. Turn up the volume. Be passionate and let it go. In your car, someplace, someplace, find a place where you can talk like you want to talk. Amen. I mean, if you're all char charged up and jazzed up like I am about the Cowboys, you ought to at least be jazzed up about Jesus and about helping somebody. Because, because if, people, if people don't get somebody praying for them, sometimes they have no hope. How many of you were, were brought into the kingdom because somebody else prayed for you? I got both my hands up. Look at this. You're here because somebody prayed for you. Yeah. Family members bring other family members in mainly because they pray for them. Amen. Don't give up on that person you're praying for. I know he's a bonehead. I know he's a bonehead. That's why he desperately needs you. That's why he needs you. He needs you desperately. Keep praying for him. Come on, tell two people, keep praying. Be violent. Pray violently, pray in the Spirit, and pray as though the need is your own.